You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy Well Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. Thank you so much for joining us on um, this very hot July day. It seems like the entire world is burning right now. Um, so may Allah keep you all cool and comfortable and healthy, inshallah. Um, Zeba is not here. And I, I guess it's okay. I would prefer to kind of talk to her about this, but you know, she is moving her son and doing all those important things that moms of young adults have to do. So um, we pray that everything goes well for them and they're successful, but I, I needed to talk to somebody this weekend and I didn't know how to do it. Um, most of the Western uh, Muslim world has been grieving the sudden loss of Sheikh Mohammed al-Sharif. Um, for those of us who are around his age that, you know, knew when al Maghrib was coming and were there at the first seminars and stuff, um, who have subsequently followed him in Discovery and taken his visionaries. You know, it's this inexplicable grief that we've all had. And through this weekend's like khatras that al Maghrib put on, um, it was really comforting, you know, to hear what his final moments were like, to um, find out what his janaza was like for the people that were able to attend. It was overseas to hear from all of the students and all of the love from people who never met the man. I mean, he was 47 years old. Mashallah. His work was done and Allah called him. And I have to think just given the person he was, if you don't know who he is, go to discover you um, life, go to Muhammad al-Sharif's Instagram accounts, um, go to al-Maghrib. Uh, look at his old lectures. Listen, if you can get your hands on his old Iman Rush CDs, that's awesome too, because he was a revolutionary. He revolutionized Western Islamic education. Nobody taught Islam the way he did until he started, because all of us were traumatized by Sunday school and Saturday school. Let's just admit it was, it was not done the right way. Whenever there was scholarly discussions, it was the Christian guy and the Muslim guy debating in front of us. And that's, what we got to watch. And it was like taking sides. That wasn't how Islamic education should have been presented. It wasn't a way to win us over to convince us that Islam was the way, um, Muhammad al-Sharif didn't give us a choice. He said Islam is the way. And the way to talk to Allah directly is to make dua, make dua, make dua. It sounds simple, uh, but it's not. There is an art and there is a correct way to make dua. And my conviction is that he made the correct dua. And the way he died was exactly the way he prayed to die, subhanAllah. So, you know, may Allah widen his grave and elevate his ranks and give beautiful patience to his family. And for anybody who's still grieving, you know, it's been three days. We're still on the um, online communities, uh, grieving the loss of our great teacher. And um, for a lot of these students, he was also a great friend. So join those. I have found it immensely healing. And I don't think I was ever in the room with him during his life. I don't think I've ever seen him physically. I've seen him on lives and I've been in classes with him live, but I was never in the presence of the man and could not explain why do I feel this way? Why am I crying this much? Uh, I was touched in ways I cannot explain, um, but get on the online communities, join us and, you know, we can all cry together. But on a lighter note, uh, because 
uh, I guess this is homage to Muhammad al-Sharif too, like love something that you do and pursue it. So we love this podcast and we love this July series where we've had mom influencers on to show our audience there are people just like you. You can do these things too. Um, you know, love them. Don't be jealous of them. Don't be intimidated by them. We were trying to humanize these people that, you know, um, I think Zeba, we've talked about this, has had an experience where people came up and were like fangirling mommy while Muslim, which she thought was really weird. Um, and I'm sure that this happens to the mom influencers too. We heard last week uh, with Yaz the Spaz, Yasmin Kanar saying the same thing. It's like, it's great that they're so excited, but why are you so excited? Like, Everybody can do this. Um, it is a democratized social media space. So don't feel like anything is off limits to you. So we close out our July series on mom influencers today. And today we have Dr. Ren Diab, uh, a board certified, board certified ophthalmologist with a passion for physician wellness and patient education. When she isn't in scrubs, she enjoys spending time with her husband and three children and exercising or engaging in community programs. She also makes really terrific reels. I encourage you all to listen to them or watch them um, about women phys physician empowerment. So welcome to the podcast, Rend. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, assalamu alaikum. We um, are just so excited that you took time out of your busy day. I know like you have a clinic to run and a business to run and all these wonderful things you have to do. So thank you for your time today. We like to kick off the podcast by asking uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing about your kids, a little bit about your mommying journey and your mommying philosophy. Okay. So my children, I have three children. Um, my daughter, Tasneem is um, just graduated from college. Mashallah. Um, I had her during my internship year. So she is my residency baby. And, um, so that flies by. And then my um, son, Kareem, is uh, just entering his second year of college, mashallah. And then my uh, son, Bashir, is going to be a sophomore in high school. So um, I have two outside of the home and I have one still at home with me. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. Yeah. So you spoke about having a child in residency. I had three in residency. And when you talk about fly by, maybe explain that to the audience and explain how your momming philosophy maybe changed from those years in your training to each child or as you matured as a mom. Yeah, you definitely evolve and change as a mom because I think you are already evolving and growing as a human being and, you know, as a person and as a woman. Um, and then as a mom, as a parent, there's just so much growing and learning to do along the way. Uh, so I think I was very idealistic. You know, I had my daughter um, when I was I was pregnant. I was five months pregnant when I graduated from medical school. Um, and, you know, that wasn't very common at the time. You know, we're talking over 20 years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt very alone in that. I, I'm so glad to see that there's so much more talk about that now. And there's so much more support for women in medicine who are having children during their training years. And also uh, there's just more of that happening. So um, that's one of the things I love about the physician mom social media community is that type of support. I would have loved to have that at the time. Uh, so I did feel very alone in that. And I kept it quiet. Nobody even knew that I was five months pregnant. You wear the graduation gown, right? So nobody can even tell. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I thought they would think it was so weird, you know, so I just kept it to myself. Next thing, you know, I was popping out a baby and in internship. But um, 
so I was very idealistic. I had uh, this notion of how everything was going to turn out and all the things I was going to do right. Um, for example, I was very, um, something I appreciate, but I was very strict about was, for example, breastfeeding, you know, I wanted to do two years and exclusively and be you know, an intern uh, <laughs> on call every third night. And, you know, it, and I did, alhamdulillah, I did it. It was hard, but, um, you know, I, I always felt like, uh, and I think a lot of young moms feel this way. Like if you do all of these things, like everything's going to turn out. Okay. You know, so I homeschooled my kids at one point and, um, for, quite a few years while working part-time and I um, developed so many programs uh, for girls and halakas and different things, you know, around my daughter's age uh, every year and we would change it and modify it. And I did all of these things on my own and eventually established a school because I wanted her to have a program to learn Quran in that was really positive and happy and nice. And I had heard all these horror stories of these have spent dresses for girls and I didn't want her to have any bad experiences when it came to the Quran. And, you know, so I think, I, I think I did a lot of things well, but I think I was very idealistic. And I see that in a lot of young moms, you, you don't realize that life is going to teach you a lot of lessons and a lot of things are not in your control and you're, you just really can only do your best. Um, and sometimes I think we burn ourselves out because we have that notion that, you know, I have to do all of these things, you know? So, um, you know, I, I threw out all the plastic and I got all glass and I didn't want my kids to, you know, it was all organic and I got raw milk from the farm. And I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, like I was spent all out, you know? So, um, so it's, uh, it's a journey and you, you learn a lot of things along the way. So I think if, uh, I, I think if I had to do it again, um, that, you know, th there's a lot of things I would do exactly the same and, and many things I would do differently. Let's put it that way. A lot of the stuff you talk about is women's empowerment, like, and not having those kinds of gender roles. Is that something you learned to turn around and ask your mom as an adult? Or is that something that y'all talked about growing up? I don't know if we talked about it. It was sort of there. My mom is very open with her views on things. And she was the very typical pendul pendulum swinging back against, you know, the way that she was raised. So she was raised um, with significant gender roles uh, in her family and her um the type of life that she saw her mother leading was very much not a life that she wanted to lead. Um, so, and, and she felt uh, that there were certain things that her family imposed on her that she didn't like. For example, her dad insisted that she cover her hair when she leaves the house and she didn't want to do that. Or, you know, they insisted she get married when she was 17 and, and she wanted to go to medical school or, um, you know, her, her mom wouldn't let her go to a friend's house or so she didn't want to raise us like that at all. So we were very much free to choose the way that we dressed and the way that we, um, and, and to encourage to study and have careers. And, uh, but, but, you know, as much as any one of us tries to push back against the way that we were raised, there are certain things that are ingrained in you, whether you like it or not. And I, and I see that even in my own mother, because she had certain ideas about, when we should get married and, um, you know, certain things about how we should be that were still ingrained in her, despite all of the pushing back that she tried to do. And I see that in myself, you know, so many things that I've done that were just because certain expectations were ingrained in me, you know, even if I can't say that anyone said you have to do this or that, you know, but I put myself in a certain box because of uh, certain ideas I had of what was expected of me. So. 
Yeah, no, I can understand and appreciate that as well. I feel like our generation in America is also like that pendulum swinging back. And Zeva says very openly, like she's trying to do the exact opposite of everything her parents did. So I I hear that in your mom. Um, And, you know, the fact that you were practicing Muslims, but you weren't like overly engaged in like, like Islamic education. How did you develop that later? College. Yeah, I went to college and um, I met Muslims and it was a really interesting experience, you know. So I was that person who was really thirsty for Islamic uh, companionship and Islamic knowledge. And uh, I just soaked it all up as much as I could, you know, so that uh, and then I um, I took ownership of that for myself. You know, I learned about Islam and when I began to practice in a in a much more um I would say comprehensive way than I had previously done. And I think I always had those seeds of faith in me. And I had these concepts of like ideas that I thought uh, what I thought was a correct way to be a Muslim. And I thought eventually I wanted to be that person. Like eventually I wanted to be somebody who prayed five times a day. I also thought I wanted to be somebody who wore hijab, even though my mom didn't wear hijab. And, and still doesn't. And but I thought in my mind, like that was the model of what a Muslim woman looked like to me. Um, so I, I worked towards those things, I guess, when I became more independent in the way that I practiced my faith and taking ownership of that for myself. Yeah, I love that, because at some point, everybody has to decide what faith they're going to live and practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that college revival happens to pretty much all of us when we meet like the most Muslims we've ever met in our lives, even those of us who grew up in um, bigger cities, I think it's it's kind of the same experience. So, but a very different experience um, for that. my kids, actually. And that's been an interesting thing to watch. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about the concept of parenting adult children, that's probably the hardest thing is that the, you have to accept that they're going to take their own path and their own journey, just as we did. And that can look very different than what we may have wanted to uh, slate out for them. Yeah, yeah. So how do you get okay with that? <laughs> we did a, a whole Moms of Adult Muslim Kids um, series earlier in the year, but I don't think anybody answered that question. How do you deal with that? Um, for me, it was uh, a lot. It, it's, it's an ongoing process, and it's it required therapy um, to really come to terms with uh how do you accept that your children have their own journey and not just accept it and not grieve it, but rather uh, support them in it? You know, I think I really struggled with that element of it that like, okay, you chose a different way than maybe I would have chosen for you. Um, Fine. Okay. I'm going to accept it. But there's another step, which is I am going to embrace you. And then there's another step, which is I am going to have your back. And that is very hard when we have set up notions of what's right and what's wrong and notions of what is going to bring you happiness in the dunya and the akhirah and what is not. And when you see your children choosing their way, and if you think that way is not going to bring them happiness in the dunya or not going to bring them happiness in the akhirah, how how do you manage that as a parent? Like, what do you do? Do you just fall apart? You know, Mm -hmm. so... um, So that is the work that I'm doing um, to sort of uh, realize that I have a different role in their life, you know, as they get older. And um, it it has to be I'd like it to be a close relationship. You know, I'd like it to be um, a supportive role. 
and a, and a close relationship. And so in order to do that, you know, your kids, they're going to, they're always going to know, they already know what you think, right? You don't have to say it. And so even though you think you're not saying all the things, they're already hearing them and they're all, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, so you have to, so, so you have to be able to change your own thinking to, so that you're not, you know, say silently saying all of those things. Now you're saying different things. Now you're saying, I love you. I love you unconditionally. I want what's best for you. I respect that you're going to choose your own path. Um, and I will be here to support you. And if anyone tries to put you down, I am going to have your back, even though they may be putting you down in something that I myself wasn't happy about. And that's a real hard one. Yeah. So. That's a lot of heart work and a lot of mindset work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can see myself having difficulty doing that. So I, I didn't think therapy was an option, though. So I, I love that you mentioned that you're doing it right now. And I hope down the line, we see that in your content. But first, let's talk about your social media uh, content or your social media origin story. So I attended the um, it was like a women's uh, Women in Healthcare, the Harvard program, where uh, it's about uh, leadership. It was quite a few years ago, maybe 2018, 19. And one of the big points they were making there was about how, you know, you should have uh, own your own real estate online and you should know how you are present being presented online. Because if you are not controlling that narrative, it's already happening. Like if people Google you, there's already a bunch of things that are going to pop up. Uh, why don't it's better for you to be the one creating that content and controlling what that narrative is. And um, so that's how I got started with social media. Uh, first it was Twitter and that just didn't really work for me. And I, and at that time I had a Facebook account, which I was kind of very inconsistent with, but I did not have Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, um, that was even before TikTok existed, probably. Uh, and so I try, so I, I tried Twitter a little bit. I didn't really feel like it was really matching up with me. And so I went on Instagram and this probably 2019 and I had never had an Instagram account. I had never even looked at Instagram, was not interested in that. And I went on there and I was like, oh my God, I hate this. What? Wait, yeah. wait. I was like, wait, wait, why, why, why are they putting that picture? And then there's that, that caption. I, I can't understand it. Why, why do they keep putting pictures of themselves? I just could not wrap my mind around yeah. it. I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And, and then I was like, let me try. Let me try. Like, you know, you got to learn new things. You got to like change. And I was like, let me try. So, you know, I, I tried. And then what I really liked about it was the writing. I really liked writing the captions. I liked reflecting on things and sharing my experience, which I, I started to realize this is my unique voice. So, you know, we talk a lot about as, uh, as Muslim women and as women in, in medicine, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. We talk a lot about breaking stereotypes and we talk a lot about how, um, you know, we, I, I often talk about how I think that people underestimate me and they see me as small and they don't expect me to be who I really am. And I was like, wait a second, I've got something to say. It's like it just I would see all these other people telling their stories as women in medicine 
And I was like, but I have a unique story, you know, like, and so do we all, right? But like, mm-hmm. that was, it was like this huge realization for me that as a Muslim woman who wears hijab, who has had all these unique experiences, who had a kid during training, who had all these things as a, as a woman in medicine, I have a unique story and I have something to say to the world about it. And that's how it started. And I really enjoyed writing my captions. And then, um, but I always struggled with that whole love hate relationship with Instagram, you know, and I would always think like, oh gosh, yeah. you know, how are other people perceiving me? Like, so when I started on Instagram, I started in the little cocoon of um, female physicians. It wasn't about Muslims at all. And it was just female phys- physicians. And so I was kind of a unique voice there. I wasn't following any friends, nor did I have any friends following me. You know, I just was this random person out there. And it has taken, you know, all this time now, it's been a few years where like, I actually see Instagram as a place where I could post things and I have friends that, you know, that comment as if they're actually people I know. But back then it was just people Mm -hmm. I don't even know in real life. We were just supporting one another. And eventually I met many of those women, you know, at, at, at meetings and stuff. But initially that's how it started. It was a very different way of being on social media, I think, you know, than it is for people who are just on there for like their friends and family. Um, Mm -hmm. so I I will say I've, I've always had kind of a, you know, that back and forth internal struggle with so many elements of it, uh, you know, which all all of us who are on it know well. And, um, oftentimes I'll just take a break for like months, you know, six months even Mm -hmm. where I just don't really create a lot of content and I don't, I'm just busy living my life and I just choose to do that. I, I feel like I am not obligated to do this. I'm doing this as, as a, as a hobby, as an interest, as a, as a personal, um, joy. If I like it, I will do it. And if I don't, I, I, I will not allow myself to see this as another obligation and another burden. Um, and so I have this conversation with myself because a lot of times people will come up to me and be like, oh, I really like something that you posted. I always read your posts. And then I start to think, oh, my God, I should be creating content. Oh, my God, people actually like it. Wow. People actually care about something that I'm putting online. You know, so then I start to feel this feeling. And then it's, if it starts to feel heavy, I have to push back against it because I just feel like um, we have so many duties in this world. And it's like I just don't want to add more things to my plate if I don't have to. This month's episodes are sponsored by Amana Mutual Funds Trust. Find out more at amanafunds.com. That's A-M-A-N-A funds.com. Any comments or statements made in these episodes do not necessarily reflect those of Saturna Capital Corporation, Saturna Brokerage Services, formerly Investors National Corporation, or their affiliates. The thing about social media is that it takes its own trajectory. So it's like I started like that and then it just, it, it sort of gradually morphed into um, more of Muslim women representation for other Muslim women. Like for a while, I felt like I was a Muslim woman physician voice amongst a diverse uh, group of voices of, of, of female physicians. But then I felt like, okay, now I'm actually creating content for Muslim women who are similar to me in some ways. Um, so it evolved. And then, um, and then, you know, your the people who follow you changes, people drop you, other people mm-hmm. add you and you, your whole thing, it all just changes. So now I feel like, um, uh, so, you know, when they, when you, when you're on social media, they say like, if you want to have a successful social media account, you have to have an avatar and this is like your target audience. So you create this person in your mind, you know, and, and now I feel like if I think who's my avatar, I feel like I'm just really posting for my friends. 
<laughs> so it's mm. really changed a lot for me, you know, and, and, um, and you know, I, I, I always leave myself the room to, to change with it so that, you know, if I want to start creating a certain type of content again, uh, you know, I will, but right now yeah. I've just been enjoying living my life and, um, posting sort of just the personal things that I, that are meaningful to me. Yeah. And you know, what we appreciate of course is, um, the women's empowerment stuff. And what I love is some of the education that you provide, whether it's Islamic or, you know, for the non-Muslims that follow you or whether it's medical. So as a physician, I get concerned looking at some of these, uh, social media accounts of mom docs. And I'm like, well, how do you know, and maybe this is important for people who ask, I don't know if your DMS get lit up with, Oh, what should I do in this condition? Or what do you think this is? Or, you know, when they're asking for medical advice and that I think freezes me. Cause I'm like, you know, cause can you tell the audience why we're not allowed to give medical advice like that? And as a social media influencer, what is that line from education to advice and why it's important that we have to, to differentiate between those two. Right. So of course, you know, in, in any of our fields, like if we're giving advice to somebody who's asking a question online, we're not examining them. We don't mm -hmm. really see what's going on. We don't know their medical history. Uh, we, and we are not, um, there, there's, there's basically like a physician patient contract or agreement that you enter into when someone formally becomes your patient and they come to your office and they register in your practice. And, you know, you don't have that with this random person online or even your friend or even anyone, you know, if, if you don't have that actual relationship. So when someone comes to you as an actual patient, you're garnering a huge amount of information from them about so many different things. And, you know, you, you know that if they have a problem, they're going to come see you in the office. You're going to evaluate them properly. And so when people are asking us these questions online, we could be missing a huge thing and we could give them the wrong advice and we could harm them, you know, and then none of us want to do that, obviously. So, um, so I know that a lot of people might think, well, it's just simple. Here's a picture of my eye. Can you just tell me what to do? And honestly, like, it's almost like nobody knew I was an ophthalmologist, even everyone who knew I was an ophthalmologist until I got on social media. And now all of wow. a sudden, everyone has a question for me, like all those years, I, I've been an ophthalmologist for more than 20 years. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, all those years, nobody asked me anything. I, I would go to like yeah. family things and whatever. Like, no, it's like I wasn't really a doctor, you know, and now all mm -hmm. of a sudden, I'm an actual doctor because I'm a doctor on social media. It's the weirdest thing. That's um, weird. It's such a weird thing. And it, 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 it really it really speaks to this thing that I've been trying to to get at and to, to wrap my brain around, which is that I, I feel like I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if it's because I got on social media or whatever. But it's like I feel like nobody saw me like people just didn't see me. They just I was just this like I don't know how to explain. It. It's like I was invisible. And then when I and I think I think it has something to do with being a Muslim woman, covering yourself, people just let you be covered. It's like, okay, you're in that box over there and I'll just leave you be over there. And so then I just said, well, hey, I'm actually not in that box. And I'm actually this vibrant person who has a lot to say. And I'm actually very multidimensional and dynamic. And, um, and it's not even like I need anyone to know that this doesn't make me, it's not to make me feel better, but I already knew that about myself. You know, I right. mean, the way that I was raised was very much like, 
um, like I told you, like we didn't have traditional gender roles. Like we did all the sports. I did every single sport and activity and, you know, this and that under the sun. Like there was nothing that was I was not allowed to do by my family. Um, so, you know, I, I have this totally different upbringing in many ways than a lot of the Muslim women that I met when I went to college. And um, so it's not like I need anyone to know anything about me in order for me to know who I am. But I also feel like maybe people need to open up their minds a little bit, you know, just because somebody chooses to present themselves a certain way in terms of their dress, it doesn't mean that they are, uh, you know, flat. Was that flat Stanley? What was that book our kids used to read? You know, it's like, yes, well, we're multidimensional, you know, so um, so I think that's one of the interesting things of being online. I, I honestly think like people who knew me in the community didn't know me. Like they just had some impression they had made of me until they saw that, you know, I had these different elements of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, that was really eye opening. So part of that was that I'm a doctor and all of a sudden people want to like get my medical advice on all of these things. And so at first it was kind of like, wow, that's cool. You know, now I'm like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an interesting. How many eyelid pictures out. can I get? You know, in my WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're getting them in your WhatsApp, not in your DMs. I imagine. Or by DMs, DMs on Instagram yeah. or whatever. You know, and um, it, it, so yeah, people ask me things all the time, and uh, for the most part, I do try to guide them towards helpful suggestions as much as I can. But as you said, like to a point, I'm like, just go see an ophthalmologist. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, trying my to save biggest advice the- I can give you. $30 copay or whatever it is. So save me the copay yeah, or, and just diagnose yeah. me online. It's like, no, right. there's ways to do that. Or it's I just can do it hard. via telemen. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard. I, I will say, I mean, our medical system is not easy to navigate. And for some people, it's mm-hmm. hard to get in to see a specialist. And uh, especially a lot of times it, it will be months before you can get in. And if you don't right. already have an established relationship. So people, they really, you know, if they have an ac- acute problem now, they really do want help with it. And I, I appreciate that, but it's, um, as you said, like there's only so much that we can diagnose and treat, especially with someone we don't even know. Yeah. So. And it's considered unethical for us. And we could get written up and our licenses are at stake for something like that. And we've worked too hard and sacrificed too much to even have our licenses temporarily suspended for, you know, acting out of ethics. And that's why it's really important to differentiate between what is patient education and what is actual medical advice. And that's why you may not get all of your answers from mom docs. But sometimes I'm kind of like, when I see certain posts, I'm like, that sounds like medical advice. I hope she knows Mm -hmm. that. Um, So it makes me worry. And that's one of the reasons why I just kind of hang back and I'm like, I'm good with just the momming while Muslim, the love hate relationship with Instagram and just talking about like Muslim moms and stuff. Um, (laughs) So for our audience, I think you've kind of addressed like kind of the mission of what your content creation is. And it sounds like it's just evolving as you do. But what would you say to um, Muslim moms who are uh, following your account? Like, what can they gain from your account? Well, that's interesting. Um I'm always surprised by what they do gain, to be honest with you. Maybe I underestimate myself to some degree, but I I am always surprised that people benefit uh, as much as they tell me that they do. But one thing is that I think I'm, I'm pretty honest and straightforward. Um, I will often address topics that are difficult that people don't, you know, nobody else is talking about. Like there was a time when I did a series about influencers, hijabi influencers who then remove the hijab. And it's, you know, it's such a hard topic, right? Like it's 
very hard to, but it also impacts their followers a lot. And so I, I actually, like I said, when I started on Instagram, I was just in this cocoon of, of female physicians. I didn't follow any influencers, especially mm-hmm. not hijabi influencers, I'm, I'm not a single one. So I couldn't even relate to how much it was impacting people when these things would happen. Um, and the impact goes both ways, right? It's on the followers, it's on the influencer herself. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough for everybody. But um, so, you know, I, I address that. I mean, I, I guess through all of my own experiences and journeys, I do try to be fairly honest about addressing things. But the one area that I haven't been able to really address and people have asked me to is parenting. And that is because I have really had to respect my children's privacy. You know, I, I don't, I can't even put pictures of them on there without their permission. And even if I do, they do not like it. They do not appreciate it. They, you know, they uh, don't want, to be featured in my account in any way. Mm-hmm. And so I can't really share uh, a lot of maybe stories and experiences and stuff that I've had that might benefit others in that public way, because my kids, you know, I, I respected them too much to do that to them. And I would never want someone to do that to me, especially if I was a child or a teenager or an adolescent or a young adult. And you just don't, I, I, I know my mom, you, it was a kind of, you know, you hear moms talking to other moms, right? So I would hear my mom talking to other moms and I never wanted her to tell them anything about me. Uh. Hated that. So, um, so I, I am very cautious around that. I wish that more people could speak openly about the challenges of raising a, a young adults and being a parent of adult children, because mm-hmm. I think that we all have so much to learn from one another and to sort of support each other because a lot of us think we're the only one going through whatever the crisis is that we're going through. Mm-hmm. But it's just so delicate because, you know, your, your children are um, independent beings and they deserve privacy. Uh, and they're also changing and evolving and we can't put them in a box because they might be very different next year, you know? Exactly. So it's, it's a challenge. Well, I'm going to refer, I'm looking back right now. And it was actually our January series was um, my Muslim adult kids. So if you want to listen to those seasoned moms and how they navigate that, you know, the privacy and respecting like, oh, you're a grown adult. Because I, I mean, I felt it where at times my parents still talk to me like I'm 12 years old. And it's like, I'm the mom of four kids. There's a saying where we come from because we're on the um, subcontinent. And um so over there, there's a saying that my hair didn't turn white from the sun, you know, because we know that with lots of sun exposure, your hair actually can get bleached, right? <laughs> um, and so our parents would say to us, our hair didn't get white in the sun. Like that's our experience and our wisdom was gained through experience. What we're telling you is right. So do it this way. So what I try to tell them now is my hair definitely didn't turn white in the sun because I've been wearing hijab. Like my hair has been covered. Um, so I have some experience too. I'm the mom of four kids. And, you know, I, I did some very hard things in my life and I, I think you should treat me like a grown up now. So it's, it's just a process, but I appreciate, I know that as a mom, maybe it's because of the nature of the work that we share, um, the field that we're in. I mean, I'm not an ophthalmologist, so I don't know what it's like to be in surgery, but um, just those common experiences. I find it really helpful when you're talking about um, empowerment or when you're talking about take it easy. You know, you don't have to do all the things. Um, I think that that's really helpful for a lot of us who are in um, high pressure situations um, on a day to day. And I found it very great and I love you for it and I'm going to keep stalking you for it. So thank you. Jazakallah khair. 
So what we'd like to do, um, we asked kind of like the heavy stuff. We want to like get to know you a little bit better. So we have this rapid fire. I don't know if you've ever heard a rapid fire on any of our episodes, but it sounds like silly questions. I think they're actually, you know, some of these are, they tell us a lot about um, the people that we're interviewing. So I'm going to put 90 seconds on the clock. There's no right answer. It's top of your head. Um, and we find okay. that you're most honest that way. So, and if you don't know, you don't know. Or if you don't do something, you don't do something like, it's totally fine. Nobody's going to hold you to it because maybe in a month you're going to change your dynamic too. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first question is always, what are you reading right now? Or what have you recently read? I am reading um, a book called ordinary grace. And I've been actually reading the same author now for a while. For some reason, I got really into his books. Let me tell you his name. Um, William Kent Kruger. Kruger. He, yeah. William Kent Kruger. He writes these um, fictional novels about, uh, Minnesota and it's a mix of um, there's a lot of Native American history he's not I don't think he himself is Native American but it seems like that's the um, community in which he grew up and it's even though the novels are fictional there's a lot of learning to be done about Native American culture and history and I've really enjoyed that element of it plus they're they're just really good stories and and some of them are mysteries and they're suspenseful so I've been reading that in terms of um, that's what I've been reading in terms of fiction. Um, I am a bigger fan of fiction than I am of nonfiction. As most um, of us Although are. I will say, <laughs> yeah, I did read, um, I did recently read The Alice of the Heart by Brene Brown. So that was uh, my most recent nonfiction. Haven't read that one yet. So we'll put it on the list. Um, what's your hidden talent? I'm really good at, um, when I'm in playing sports, I'm really good at trash talking and keeping it light and funny. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's like things that people uh, wouldn't know about you if they didn't watch your reels. I love it. They do not know that about me. Yeah. <laughs> What's the first career you dreamed of having as a kid? Being a doctor, just like my dad. Right. Yeah. Um, what is something that you do that gives you extreme happiness? Pickleball. Pickleball. There's like a thing right now. It's like all the rage. I need to learn more about this or try to play. Um, and then the last question, I think it's interesting to ask a doctor if, uh, you had, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? Right. I, if it was nighttime, I would try to pray and read Quran. And if it was daytime? Because if, if it was daytime, I would exercise. Oh, that's right. You're really healthy too. Mashallah. That's awesome. <laughs> what were you saying about the uh, reading? But I already do that. Yeah. I've, yeah. I mean, I, I already am doing that. So probably if it was more hours in the daytime, I should probably be cooking. Oh, because okay. I've been neglecting that. Yeah. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. I interrupted you when you were talking about uh, reading more Quran and praying at night because. Well, I, I mean, I think as a Muslim, we are supposed to be doing worship in the night. Mm-hmm. A lot of us underestimate the power of worship in the actual night when other people are sleeping. Yeah. So if we're talking about being awake in the night, I would, that's where I would want to put my energy. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think it. there's a lot of benefit in that. I've experienced that benefit and I just don't often do it as much as I should, especially in the summer, you know, when the, the nights are shorter. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, I love all of this. Thank you so much for, um, 
creating your content, for giving us your time today. We would love to have you back anytime. <laughs> and we really appreciate you. I'm Ami Muslim. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much for having me. It was really an honor to get invited. I love your podcast. I love the work that you're doing, mashallah. So keep it up. Thanks so much. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.